Our reading this morning is from Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, it's wonderful to be opening up God's word with you as we begin our new series on church and the plan of God. We'll be looking at the passage we just heard read and also be spending a bit of time in John 17 a bit later as well. Uh, as some of you will know, particularly our regular members, we're kind of in the middle of... Uh, uh, a planning process as we look towards the next few years of our life together. And as we do that, I think it's really important that we do a couple of things which can be lost uh, in the middle uh, of making plans and, and, and strategizing. Uh, it's important that we pray. It's really important that we pray and look to God for his guidance about what, who he would have us be and, and what he would have us do. And I think the other thing that's really important is that we actually remind ourselves of uh, God's vision and his purposes for us uh, as his church because uh, as we think about things that we want to do it can be easy actually to forget 
what God is doing in the world, we get so caught up in some of the things that we want to do. So today, really, and through this series, we're going to reflect on the place of church uh, in God's plan, the nature of what church is, and some of the implications uh, that flow from that that hopefully will feed into how we respond and and participate uh, in this planning process. Uh, Next week, Nat's going to speak to us about how uh, God's love should shape uh, how we think about, how we respond, how we approach church. And in the final week, John, our vicar, will speak to us about how God's love uh, will send us out into our community and city and world and how it will shape us to be a church that looks not just inward but outward as well. So let me pray uh, for, for today and, and uh, for the next three weeks. Uh, loving God, as we come to your word uh, this, this morning and as we come to this topic over the next three weeks, we pray that you would guide us, that you would shape our minds and our hearts, our whole beings to be conformed to your will and we pray that that would overflow into uh, our planning process as we think about, as we reflect on, as we seek your will in who you would have us be. In Jesus' name, amen. It would be great if you could have your new sheet open there. You've got the passage there as well, but also an outline, and you can make a few notes there if you'd like to do that as well. Well, in our society, really, uh, church increasingly kind of sits at the margins, and there's lots of different reasons for that. Um, up until the mid-20th century in Australia, um, church attendance was still very much a cultural thing, right? It's a thing you did on Sundays. It was a community you are part of, but it's not like that anymore. There's, a de- there's an overall de- decreasing trust in institutions and adherence to them, and that's had an impact on church as well. Uh, the church... Uh, has behaved badly and the sins of the church have driven many people away and there's lots for the church to repent of and lots of trust to be rebuilt. The cultural narrative of individualism has also had an impact on where church sits in society. According to this narrative, faith is something that I mainly express individually and so church becomes something that I choose to be part of or I choose not to be part of. And I'll be part of it to the extent that it kind of fulfills my needs and kind of fits my picture of who I am. Now, obviously, there have been books and books and books written about what's happening with the church today. Where is the church today? Uh, But we're not going to talk more about that. I think the key thing to be aware of is as we kind of drift in these cultural currents, it's very easy to drift with them. Very easy. And so it's crucial that we drop our anchor in God's word and be shaped by it, not by the various kind of anti-Christian messages that might be out there. So let's drop our anchor in God's word and and see what it says uh, about church. We're going to start with Ephesians 1, so make sure you have that in front of you. And as we look at Ephesians 1... uh, we see that church really isn't on the margins. Church is actually at the centre of what God is doing in the world. It's at the very heart of his purposes for the universe. Uh, Ephesians 1 begins with this kind of wonderful, joyous burst 
of praise, for all the wondrous spiritual blessings that God has lavished upon us. You can just feel um, Paul's uh, enthusiasm, his joy, just jumping off the page here. And these uh, blessings, they're personal. We experience them in our lives. But there's another, I think, dimension to these blessings. Now, if you look through the pronouns, uh, the we's, uh, the eyes, the U's. If you actually look at those words, you'll notice they're actually plural, right? They're, they're collective. They're us's, they're we, and the you, they're even plural as well. From verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in, in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will. They are spiritual blessings uh, that God has given to us, his church. And next, notice the nature of these particular spiritual blessings, some of them. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. So church was in God's plan way back then. In love, he predestined, that is, he, he chose and he made it happen. He predestined us to, to uh, adoption, to sonship through Jesus Christ. These, are, these verses are talking about what God was planning from before creation. And they tell us that even from before the beginning, God's plan was church, to adopt us in Jesus, to choose us before the creation of the world. And if we keep reading, we'll notice that church wasn't just a part of God's purposes. Church was at the heart. This is from verse 9. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. His will here is his great cosmic plan, what he's doing in the universe, which he purposed in Christ, so focused in Jesus, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment. And what is it? It's to bring all things in heaven and earth and under Christ. That's God's big plan, focused in Christ, all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And that includes everything. And church there is right at the centre. The things in heaven, among, thi uh, among the things in heaven are all the heavenly powers, the angels, the demons, everything. The things on earth, well, all the things on earth, but also us. Humanity brought into relationship with God through Christ and under Christ. Humanity brought into church. You see, church isn't just an add-on. It's not kind of like the sunroof and leather seats. That's a bit more standard these days. It's not the business class upgrade or the Spotify premium option. Church is at the heart of God's plans now because it has been from eternity. What... Uh, also, God, uh, God tells us here, 
is what actually it costs God to make church possible. And that's worth reflecting on. From Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, that's Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Out of his infinite love, his predestining, his choosing love from before the creation of the world, God created us to share in relationship with him. But the truth is, humanity hasn't responded with that same love. Instead of wanting God at the centre of our lives, we wanted to be the centre of our own lives. And that's what sin is. You don't, sin is, you don't have to be a thief or a liar or just unpleasant to be a sinner. It's about who you love and who you live for. Sin is living with ourselves and not God as king. And so left by ourselves, we turn our backs on God and away from Jesus. But the wonderful news is that God has made a way and he invites us back into relationship with him. But as you can see, that invitation doesn't come cheap. It came at the ultimate cost, not for us, but for God when Christ shed his blood for our forgiveness on the cross. And the gospel says that through Christ's sin-forgiving death and his death-defeating resurrection, Jesus makes a way for us to come back into relationship with him, for us to come back to church. Have you ever loved something so much that you just wanted to share it with people? Well, God does. He loves his church so much that he shed his blood for it. That's how much he wants to share it with us. Well, as we read through Ephesians 1, there's another recurring theme as well. It's there in verse 6. In love he predestined to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, it's to the, for the praise of his glory. Verse 14, it's to the praise of his glory. You can kind of see the refrain really going through the verses. It's telling, something, uh, it's telling us something about why church is at the centre of his plans, why church exists. And it's not for our own reputation, our own comfort, our own honour. It's not for our own self-perpetuation. The church exists to bring glory to God. Here's a, a portrait, a famous one. When you see a great portrait, whether it's this one or another one, you don't praise the person who sat for it right. You praise the painter for his or her skill. And sisters and brothers, that's what we are. We're God's portrait. We're God's masterwork. The church ultimately exists for God's glory. And we're not just made for private viewing either. It's not just an exclusive little party. It's a public exhibition. We live to praise and worship God in word and deed. But more than that, our very existence brings glory to God in the world. The fact that a bunch of people like us and other churches around the world save sinners from every tongue, tribe and nation, from every level of society, from every ability, from every gender, have come together as one where they wouldn't come together anywhere else 
They've come together as one in the church. That's a testimony to God. He's reconciling, he's redeeming work, and he's overwhelming and overflowing grace. Our very life, our very existence is a showcase of God's grace. And so before we say or do anything here today, just the fact that we're gathered here together, our existence brings glory to God. I think as we pray and as we plan for our future, we remember, we need to remember who we are. God's masterwork. His showcase who exists for the praise of his glory. Well, I think to understand more about the nature of church, we need to understand more about who God is because at its heart, church is really nothing less than an extension of God's own life. And to understand more about that, more of who God is, we're going to go to John 17. I don't have the reading in front of you, but I'll have the verses on the screen. Uh, In John 17, that's Jesus praying the night before he goes to the cross and he's praying for all sorts of things. But in this prayer, he gives us a glimpse into something very profound, a glimpse into the very nature of who God is. And this is from verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Have a listen to what Jesus is saying. We, usually when we think about the beginning, we go to Genesis 1, in the beginning. Well, here Jesus says that something, or rather someone, existed before the beginning, before the world began, and that someone was God. And even more than that, in the beginning, God existed in relationship. The Father in relationship with Jesus, he says here, the Son in whom he gloried. There's lots of reasons for us to glory in football victories, unless you're an Essendon supporter like I am, in our careers, in our PhDs, in our relationships, in our achievements, in our success. That's what we value and and glory in. But I think what we ultimately glory in most, what we're kind of looking for most, is to glory in people, in relationships. Well, God glories in relationships too. The Father loves and glories in his Son. The Son loves and glories in his Father. The same is true of the Holy Spirit, who uh, is always seeking to lift up and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And so deep is this divine relationship of glory and love that Jesus said they're perfectly united. He'll go on to say in verse 21, you are in me and I am in you, talking about the Father his Father in heaven. See, the, uh, the Trinity, God as Father, Son, Spirit, it's not some mathematical trick. It's a diagram. Just kidding. It's difficult to really talk about God in his nature, and so when we do, we're just kind of illustrating something that's true. And God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but their life is in each other. They glory in each other. They perfectly love each other. And that that love is so perfect, so selfless, so deeply unifying that they are one. 
Now, I guess the question you can ask at this point is, what does all this have to do with church? That's interesting, but what does it have to do with church? And the answer, well, well, this is church. In the beginning, well, before the beginning, was church. Uh, the word church, really, the original meaning of the word just means gathering or assembly. And here in the beginning was the first church, Father, Son and Spirit gathered together in perfect loving relationship. When we love something, it's natural we want to share it, whether that's a book you love, a brilliant musical piece or just even a funny cat video, right? The amazing thing is, despite the fact that God's church was pretty fantastic as it was, pretty perfect, God wanted to share it. And that's the climax of Jesus' prayer in uh, verse 26 of John 17. I have made you known to them, this is Jesus praying to his Father, I have made you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Uh, When Jesus talked about the first church, he talked about this relationship of being in each other. Well, here he uses that same language. He prays that we might be in them and and him in us. In other words, Jesus is praying that we would share in that divine relationship that Jesus has shared with the Father and the Spirit from eternity. And that's what this is. Our life together our relationships, God bringing us into his relationship, sharing his church with us. That's amazing. We don't really think about church like that, do we? Of us coming into the divine relationship. God's intention was, though, that it wouldn't just kind of be a series of individual relationships that we had with God, like you, I would have my relationship with God and you would have your relationship with God. It's about God also bringing us into relationship with each other as well. It's about us coming to church, not just with God, but also with each other. In verse 22 of John 17, he prays, he prays that we may be brought to complete unity in relationship with each other. You see, God never intended his church, our salvation, just to be an individual thing. When we're brought into relationship with God, we actually are also brought into relationship with each other as well. We're bonded together, relationally. And these bonds, they're not just voluntary. It's not just like a voluntary association. Like, I like you and you like me. Let's sit next to each other. Let's hang out together until we kind of don't want to anymore and... Our relationships are more than casual friendships. It's family. That's how the Bible speaks of church. Because we're brought into God's family. We're sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters together. And the thing is, you get to choose your friends, but do you get to choose your family? You don't, do you? You're born into it. Through Christ, we're adopted into God's family. And by the Holy Spirit, we are born again into a new family. 
And so as believers, when you become a Christian, you have a whole new family, a whole bunch of new brothers and sisters in Christ. Not because you chose them, no, but because God chose you. Just like you have biological siblings, not because you chose them, but because your parents chose to have them. Church is relationship and church is family, but the bonds that we share, they transcend biological ties. We are united by something much more enduring and more profound. We are united together in the spirit, through the Holy Spirit. I love my wife, Liz, very much. Last Wednesday, we celebrated uh, uh, sort of a muted celebration, a uh, bit of takeaway, uh, 20 years of, uh, of marriage. But deeper than our emotional connection, deeper than our unity in marriage is our unity in Christ. In eternity, marriage may cease, but we will also always, always be united in Christ. And that same bond is what we will all share together forever. And so at the heart of God's plan for the universe is church. And at the heart of what we're doing at church really is not what we're doing, it's who we are in relationship together. God's triune relationships, our adoption into God's family through Christ and our relationship to each other in the spirit. What I wanted to do uh, today was just finish by just teasing out a few implications of all that. Like, as you can kind of, we're thinking about big things here and there's lots to say. But I'm just going to finish with four and hopefully this will help shape how we approach our life together uh, now and into the future and as we plan for the future as well. First one, church is about relationship. Church isn't primarily an institution. It kind of, like, it has an institution, but it's not, it's not in its, like, it's being an institution. It's not just a building, though we call this the church. It's not a series of ritual activities or just a private space for communion with God. It's not primarily a place for entertainment, though we might have fun when we come to church, hopefully. It's not just a service we come to consume. It's not just a school where we come to learn, though we do learn. Church is relationship with God and each other. And so church isn't just what we do on Sundays. Today is a super, I think, a really important expression of our relationship together. But this isn't just church and it's not just Sundays plus your connect group that you go to during the week either. It's our relationships expressed together inside and outside our formal structures here at church. In Acts 2, the first church, they gathered together. They met around together around Christ to pray, to praise and to hear the word of God, a bit like today. But they also broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, it says in Acts 2. They shared life together. That's the vision of church that the Bible has for us. Sometimes church can be talked about as just another community organisation, right? Like Scouts 
or Rotary, like the local football club. It's like one of those, but it just has a slightly different focus. But church isn't just another voluntary organisation. And the reason is, well, it's not voluntary. Now, let me explain that. Church isn't something as a Christian that I choose to be part of. As a Christian, when I become a believer, church is something that I am part of because I'm part of God's family. God brings me into relationship with other people. Now, we make choices about uh, which church we join, when and where we attend. Like, yeah, they're all choices we make. But through Christ, God has saved me into his family, into relationship with him and his other children. And that finds its right expression in a local church, whether that's here or down the road at St Michael's or whatever local church you can think of. Now, of course, we can choose how we act in our church relationships. We can choose how we talk, how we listen. We choose how we care for others. We choose how much we let others into our lives. We choose how present we are and how involved we are. Just like we do with our biological families, right? And like biological family, there may be many reasons why our relationship with our church family is complicated. That's okay. God knows all about that. But if I am a child of God, I am a part of his church and I will be accountable to God for how I express that. Third, church is about love and service. Because of the culture we're immersed in, I think we're prone to approaching church with a mindset of this kind of voluntarism, this individualism, almost a consumerism. It's something that I choose or or, or I not choose depending on how it will serve me. And when I come to church like that, I approach church on my own terms. I participate when and how I want and if it's no longer serving my needs, I withdraw. I'm not saying that's what everyone everywhere does, I just think that's the kind of pressure, there's some of the pressure points for how we approach church. But that's not what God says. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 is often quoted about church and I think for good reason because it expresses uh, the nature of what church is. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another. Great advice from the writer to the Hebrews. Church is good for us but notice the focus of these verses. It's not really about us, what church does for me, but it's actually about what I should do for others, what I'm doing when I get there, why I'm going. It's to spur one another on to love and good deeds, to encourage each other. It's really, church is not so much about me, it's about others. We come to church not so much to be served, but to serve, just as Christ came to, not to be served, but to serve. We're not individualistic consumers. We're brothers and sisters called to love and serve each other. I remember an older Christian sister sharing with me that she, what she'd been doing every Sunday morning for 40 years. She would pray before she came to church, she said. She would pray, God, show me who to serve today. Give me your eyes to find them, your mind to know what to say and do, your heart to love them. That was her prayer every week for 40 years. 
And of course, we also might pray that we might be ministered to as well. It's not an either-or, it's both. And so how can we express that reality as we move forward together as a church? That church isn't primarily about me seeking to have my own needs met, but to love and serve other people. It should also approach how we interact with the plan as well, with our plans for the future. Coming to it with a mindset of what's good for other people, not just what's good for me. Final implication. Church is not just a mean to the end, it is the end. I've often heard church described like an aircraft carrier. Uh, at the end of the week you come in, uh, refuel, and then you're sent out again into the world. Uh, there's truth in that, right? We come together to spur one each other on and encourage each other to love and good deeds and all of that in the church and also in the world. But that analogy of church being like an aircraft carrier, in my view, is not quite right. You see, church isn't just instrumental. It's not just an instrument to serve some greater end, right? It's not just a means. It is the end. Now, it's not fully finished. God's got lots of work to do in the world. But where's he taking the world? What's his plan? Well, if we go to the end of the Bible, that'll give us a good idea, I reckon. If we go to Revelation 21, verse 3. And this is John having this vision. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. And it's at the end of things. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people as the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to earth. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and he and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's a stunning picture of God's glorious future for the world, right? And what is it? Well, it's church, what we've been talking about. It's God with us us with each other for eternity. And so what we experience now in our community together, as imperfect, as weak, as frail as it sometimes appears, it's an anticipation of that glorious future. So are you passionate about church? Well, you should be, because God is. Our life together is so precious, so precious that Jesus shed his blood for it. And it's worth investing our time, our treasures, our lives into it in all the beautifully diverse ways that God has called us to. Let me pray for us. Uh, Loving Father God, We thank you for the gift of church that we were in your mind from eternity through Christ and for his glory. Father, as we move forward together as your church at St Jude's, help us reflect your vision for us, your vision to bring you glory, your vision for loving relationship. In Jesus' name, amen.